You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. The JSC has opened its doors for the second day of this trading week. So it's time for the opening with Nick Kunzer from Sandland Private Wealth. A couple of things that I've got to address first of all, the most important being the Chinese PMI number, the Purchasing Managers Index, which has vaulted its way from nowhere to above the cutoff line of 50 to a level of 53. Look, I'm not saying that the numbers are massaged. I'm not saying that the numbers are a misrepresentation of the truth. I'm not saying there is any statistical license here. But what I am saying is all of those things. Because how can it go from, what was it, 35 or something up to 53, when the country has been shut down and all the trading partners that it deals with are also shut down. Please illuminate me. Lindsay, good morning. Uh, yeah, look, I mean, it's, it's a bit of a running joke that, uh, you know, Chinese, the Chinese uh, administration, uh, the political bureau, have, have been massaging their GDP numbers for years. I mean, you expected 6.3% GDP growth, and lo and behold, it comes out at 6.3. And we should make it more difficult. We should say the market's looking for 6.389. Surprise, surprise, it'll come out 6.389. So hmm. uh, coronavirus numbers probably massaged too, as we all know. Uh, and now the latest in their, their box of tricks is you've got to you've got to take this peer number with a with a, a slight bit of sketchism, or as they say, a pinch of salt. Uh, coming in at 52, which does indicate expansion. It defies all expectations of contraction. Uh, most analysts would be expecting even the most bullish to come in at 45. Uh, just four weeks ago, the manufacturing PMI plunged in China to a record of 35.7 in Feb. Uh, as that was, I mean, they were still well into an extensive lockdown. There were no people returning to work. So, quite frankly, I share your, uh, I don't know what the expression is, but, um, yeah, coming in at uh, at 52, I think you would uh, certainly take as a pinch of salt. But the market's like, and we're off to the races this morning. Yeah, cracking day out there. Yeah, uh, a little China bit up, of… Uh, Asia up, South Korea up, everything's up. It looks mm. like it was all a bad dream. My next uh, little gripe is uh, South Korea. It's linked to South Korea. And… I have to say that, you know, you and I occasionally tease Mr. Trump. I mean, he's, uh, he's the president of the United States, and you have to give him credit for achieving that lofty position, despite all his <laughs> deficiencies, uh, shall we say. But I got a little bit depressed by what I saw last night at the White House press conference, namely when a black female reporter, I can't remember which organization she represented, but anyway, she said, Mr. President, why is the United States so far behind other countries when it comes to testing on a per capita basis? He called her question snarky. He had a go at her. He said, I wasn't talking about per capita. We've tested one million people. They're the best tests in the world. We're the best country in the world. And how dare you say this? That was his implication. And he said, well, the reason is, is because we've got lots of vast farmlands where we don't test because they don't have a problem. In fact, they have a slight problem, but no problem at all. In other words, when it comes to COVID-19 coronavirus. He said, do you know how many people there are in Seoul all tightly wound together? He said, 38 million. I thought, wait a second. I don't think that sounds right. And I looked it up. There's 9.8 million people in Seoul. And what is going around now on social media, and it could, again, be a misrepresentation of the truth, mm. is that when you, look at, when you Google Seoul, it's 38 meters above sea level. So he's... <laughs> Google this thing and seen 38 million here. He thinks 38 million, 38M thinks 38 million people. But he had a go at her for this. I find it extraordinary. And the other thing he said, just to end this little rant, Mm. is 
I know South Korea better than anybody, and that is a direct quote. You must look it up on the video. I know South Korea better than anybody, and Seoul has a population of 38 million when it has a 9.8 million population. Mm -hmm. How do we put up with this, Nick? Come on. Well, you put up with it with a with a little bit of amusement. Um, unfortunately, it, it, to actually that he is the leader of the free world, as he calls himself, uh, you should go on to I think it's the Washington Post or, or either New York Times. They have a they have an untruth indicator that runs real time on their website. Yes. And if you get and if you get if you get the paper copy, it's on the front page. Um, and I think currently the untruth from the the president uh, is about thirty eight thousand so far since he came to party mm. those are all that they fact check everything he says so he's he's lied thirty eight thousand times so far since he's been in power so i mean that's that kind of sums up the individual i guess anyway let's have a look at the, the, the markets the markets have mm. been choppy because it's very let's just have a look at this morning before we go through the numbers it seems as though the people are positioning themselves for quarter end. There's going to be a lot of statements being posted after the close tonight and plopping on doormats in the next two to three days across the world. And I imagine that you'll have your helmet on ready for a few calls over uh, towards the end of the week, Nick. Mm. Well, this is the only time I'm really glad that our postal services hasn't got the best reputation because I'm hoping some of those statements <laughs> don't actually get there. But it, it is, it's going to be tough. It's going to be possibly the worst quarter we've had since the 1930s certainly in europe they talk euroland they're talking about the worst since 2008 so i mean there's nowhere to hide it's going to be anywhere from you know whatever d d d depending what sort of balanced portfolio you hold whether it's with jsc equities or global equities you expect to so this is a warning for everyone listening mm. expect to have anywhere between down 20 to maybe down 30 or more percent for the quarter uh, and that's not and that doesn't even tell the true story because you've actually bounced back a bit in the last few days so it's taken a bit of a sting out of it which you wouldn't have seen so it actually was far worse quite frankly so what you're talking about equity funds balance funds multi-asset yeah, funds well, you what? name it you mm. name it equity, equity funds have all had a torrid torrid time it doesn't matter what equity you were in get a balanced equity uh, and bonds as well um we, we've seen what the bonds have done recently as well the bond this the balanced bond funds have also taken a smack credit markets have taken a knock in fact it's been a unless you were sitting in u.s dollars maybe you were clever enough to uh, tell your broker to to transfer some of your rands offshore and move into dollars then you've done okay then you've probably done 21 percent since jan i think roughly there about us so then you've done okay but other than that it was very little little places to hide. So just brace yourself, uh, investors. Okay, let's have a look at the currency markets to start with. The dollar rand is exactly 18. The British pound against the rand, 22.14. The euro rand is 19.79. And the euro dollar is 110 exactly as well. Last night in the United States of America, the Dow Jones was up 3.2%. Another sterling performance, 22,327 is the close there. So I'm nearly 2,000 points down on my bet with you and David Shapiro, to whom we'll speak later today, by the way. S&P was up 3.3%. NASDAQ was up 3.6%. Yesterday, the FTSE was a 2.2% winner. This morning in the Far East, uh, Tokyo, that's been an underperformer recently. Down 0.9%. Shanghai, more or less unchanged. The Hang Seng up one and a quarter. Australia, down point six. On the commodities markets, gold 16.16, pretty quiet, down, only down six. Brent crude oil, 23.12, up 1.8%. But screaming headlines on the BBC early morning shows saying crude plunges to 18-year low. But obviously that was 
a little bit previous to the the session that I'm talking about. What have you got for Brent crude? Yeah, well, look, this news flow, as we know, is moving. Uh, it's very fast moving real time at the moment. So Brent, uh, you're right in assuming it's up on percent, but the one I'm watching is is basically West Texas Intermediary, which is the most traded component. And that is actually up 5.5% at the moment, mm. sitting at $21.20. Uh, this is on the back of uh, rumors that uh, our favorite friend, Mr. Trump, uh, spoke to our other favorite friend, Mr. Putin, uh, last night, apparently. Uh, Trump initiating the call to discuss energy concerns as well as coronavirus. So there are a little bit of murmurings coming around that uh, Mr. Trump is getting a bit hot under the collar that all his voters sitting in Texas and Mm-hmm. on the shale uh, gas planes are completely decimated. And at $20 a barrel, I imagine there are going to be defaults left, right, and center. So uh, once again, you know, when a uh, little bit of skepticism, but um, he's going to have to pull in a few favors here. But with $20 a barrel, it does not help his uh, his redneck voting public sitting on their oil rigs. I don't think Mr. Putin has the capacity to push the oil price from 20 to uh, 45 which is where the shale producers <laughs> need it. He, he doesn't, although he is a key component of OPEC. And in fact, uh, he is one of the biggest producers in, in Russia with natural gas and oil is one of the biggest players. And this is this is what actually started the spat in the first place, if you remember, Lindsay, with uh, Mr. Putin and the Saudis mm-hmm. uh, going head to head. And it was actually Mr. Putin and the Russians who refused to play ball and, and to curb. So it actually was the Russians. So maybe I don't know. We know we know which way Mr. Mr. Trump leans towards the Saudis. He was the first place he visited when he uh, became president. So maybe maybe he's had a call from MBS from Saudi saying have a word with the Russians. Who knows? I mean, we we don't know half what goes on in the background, Lindsay. But uh, anyway, that's that's the reason why he's seeing a little bit of pop in oil and and maybe also that it was. I mean, it has been absolutely hammered. I mean, the thing is down what seventy percent since Jan. So. Nothing goes down in a straight line, as we know. No, um, I would back OPEC over Russia. I'm, I, I must admit. Mm. I think they, you know, you've got how many member countries? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, thirteen members of mm. OPEC, and, and Russia going, and Russia going in alone. Uh, obviously, a key producer, but yeah. Yeah, I think it's yeah, all every man for himself at the moment. Hundred percent, and, and as, as we know, Lindsay, also that at one point before this drubbing in oil. Um, I don't. I don't know. You can maybe Google it. But America were. I don't know. They were, they were net exporting. I think producing something. I think north of it. Am I right? Ten billion. Ten million barrels a day. Or is that too much? I don't know. That sounds a bit. Let but me they, let me have a look at that while you went, make your point. From, yeah. yeah. So they went from nothing to to basically becoming quite a significant oil producer in their own right. So you've you got to say that uh, if America align with the with the producers with with OPEC against Russia, yeah, you're right. I don't think Russia's really going to have a have a sort of leg to stand on, quite frankly. U.S. pretty close. It says here U.S. crude mm. oil production initially peaked in 1970 at 9.64 million barrels per day. That was when Jr. was um, when Jr. was uh, <laughs> wielding his influence. Oh, yeah. Hey, Bob. Uh, 2018 production was 10.99 million barrels per day, not including yes. natural gas li- liquids. Uh, so that was 2018. I would imagine uh, during good times, they probably ramped it up to above 10 million barrels a day. You're quite mm. right. Yeah, so in the scheme of things, you know, America, is, as, as, a, as, a, as a producer, um, uh, are not a marginal player. They're quite significant. So you're right. I, I agree with you. I, I think uh, Russia would, would very much be the, the lone voice against uh, quite a strong OPEC, certainly if America line up with OPEC. Platinum is barely changed at $726 an ounce. Where is Palladium, please? 
That is down 1.2% currently at sitting at $2,000 per ounce. Okay. Down, um, down $28. And um, we've got some fairly good news on the R186 10-year government bond yield because it's 11.57%. It was 1160 to 1165 on Friday. Then Moody's came out yesterday. It went to 1242, 12.42% yield. And now it's come all the way back, you know, close to 100 mm. basis points, 11.57. So well done to the Reserve Bank for injecting liquidity. I've been reliably informed by a monetarist that it's not quantitative easing. It's just providing the market with liquidity. So mm. well done to the Reserve Bank. And also the rumor going around is there's going to be an intermediate cut in interest rates in South Africa between now and the next meeting in May of another 100 basis points to take us down to four and a quarter. I don't know if you've heard that. Sure, I haven't. I haven't heard that at all. But look, it wouldn't be unexpected given what the rest of the world's doing. Mm. I must say, out of um, just watching the events of the last during this lockdown with uh, with Mr. Ramaphosa's administration, certainly our Reserve Bank, I've got to say they've been pretty proactive. Um, yes, they've done very well. transparent. Uh, for at one stage was a a sleepy sob, um, being quite quite aggressive. You know, they gave us at hundred basis points, which was double what the market was looking for, though we all expected it, kind of in the whisper numbers. Hmm. Um, and, and they've been very proactive, given what they were doing in the bond markets. They've recognized it was illiquid. They've recognized the need to sort of, uh, I guess, massage these these volatile times. And, and I say kudos. I think they've done well. Um, just to just remind while we're on the subject. So, so off the downgrade, we all know that uh, – that South Africa forms part of the World Government Bond Index. Yes. The, 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 uh, yeah, the w, uh, WGGBI, it's called. Um, so they were due to – South Africa would, should have basically got uh, removed almost instantaneously. But uh, that removal of South Africa um, bonds out of the index has been delayed until the end of April. Mm. Um, if what they called, I think they called extremely stressed markets was the, was the quote. And uh, South Africa, we have a weighting of around about, I think, 0.4, of the index, which is about $10 billion. You would have seen the number. Mm. And uh, interestingly enough, um, most analysts say roughly that a $5 billion um, dollar outflow of that of a portfolio <clears throat> would be basically neutralized by anywhere between a, a 5% depreciation in the real exchange rate. So the RAND has actually depreciated already this year by, by north of 20%. So interestingly enough, a lot of people saying that, you know, it's not, not necessarily in the price, but the that, that selling effect that we would see, I guess, is is more than compensated by the weaker RAND right now, for what it's worth. Okay, yeah, that the, the RAND has so many inf- implications, uh, mm. which will come out in the next few next few weeks and months. A stock exchange news service now, Nick. RMB, Remgro and First Rand coming out with a renewal of cautionary announcement. Some sort of talk about um, corporate activity being put on hold for a while or uh, rescheduled to uh, another date. What is what is that? Did you see that? No, I didn't. Which, which I'll look it up now. Which one was it? Um, it's Remgro, First Rand, and RMB renewing their cautionary. I did see a headline yeah, somewhere. Mm. I did see some. Someone put a note out this morning on it. Uh, where was it? Yeah, but, but um, rescheduling yeah, of the timing of it. Yes. Yeah, they were supposed to spin off at F and B. Was that right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I didn't see any detail on that. Okay, we'll talk about that later on with David Shapiro. What else have we got here? We've got Sassel. Sassel response to COVID-19 lockdown in South Africa. That's pretty predictable. British American tobacco. No, that's nothing there. That's just uh, uh, Harmony Gold Mining. Update on measures taken in response to COVID-19 national lockdown. Force majeure all over the place uh, from platinum mm. miners yesterday. And force majeure, of course, means 
means that you know it's it's it's, it's an act beyond their control. So therefore, mm. they can legitimately, under the rules of force majeure, not deliver to their their long term customers. Uh, what else have we got? I don't know. Much much corporate news in your morning meeting this morning, Nick. No, I mean, just to, to elaborate on that, Sassel, we were joking because they actually, they, they, if you look deeper into the statement, they said they put a, um, a hedge on, on oh, the yeah. oil price at, at $30 a barrel. Okay. And I actually can't, I can't believe we're talking, we were joking, I can't believe that a hedge at 30 is actually quite good considering it's at 22 right now. Uh, and then there was the joke that why can't they just, why they just shut down production and take the hedge off and, and lock in the 10? But, uh, Apparently, it's not that easy. But, and also, on the back of Sassel, there was also, it might have skipped the wires with so much news, but there, there actually was a downgrade from S&P on their debt, another notch, which isn't great, quite frankly. Um, no. Another bit of bad news in Sassel. Not good at all. What if you're an airline now and you say to yourself, well, in six months' time, I'm going to be flying again. The oil price is down to $20 a barrel for West Texas. Uh, so uh, aircraft fuel is probably even lower. It's probably falling in percentage terms, even lower than the actual barrel of crude. Because when you take a barrel of crude, you crack it. And there's something called the crack spread where you take, okay, mm. what does oil do? Well, it gives you uh, petrol or gasoline, as the Americans call it. It gives you diesel. It gives you uh, airline fuel and all sorts of other little products. I would imagine that the airline uh, air, aircraft fuel has probably fallen far more than the actual barrel of crude itself. I wonder if you were an airline, a forward-thinking airline executive now, you'd say to your treasury team, let's hedge for the next year, let's buy 40-50% of our requirements that we anticipate uh, having next year and lock in at these levels, because when the world turns around again, these prices are going to double. What would you think about that as a, as a, as a strategy for Comair or something? Yeah, I think it's a great strategy. I've been doing quite a bit. Of, in fact, I'm giving a presentation on um, on oil to the to the group tomorrow. Um, there is so much going on in the oil space. So exactly what you're implying now, Lindsay. Obviously, there's various people don't realise it, but there's there's close on 30 different grades of oil, whether it's uh, you know sweet or crude, or as you, or gasoline is broken down into a separate indication, or airline fuels, etc. Mm. West Texas, North Sea, Brent. They're all different variants according to their grade. So, I mean, there were some reports at, uh, yesterday that the price of, of certain grades of oil was swapping hands at $7 a barrel. Mm. <laughs> so, they, because the productivity during the shutdown is – and this price war between Russia and, and Saudis, and, of course, the world literally standing still – there is so much oil, and the world is awash with oil. There is not enough place to store it. So what you find is, is a strange situation, what they call backwardation in the commodity industry. So it, it is actually, it makes more sense to take delivery of your oil now. <laughs> if you had a big garden, don't buy the oil future. Demand a couple of barrels and stick them on your lawn in Bryanston. Take delivery now. It's $13 cheaper to take delivery of the physical now than it is to, tr to basically trade the future out in June or July, which is unheard of. It's completely absurd. So the whole curve down. has gone out of whack completely, uh, the, the, it's, the, the it's, contango it's, I mean, curve. In layman's yes, 100%. It's in layman's terms, it's literally uh, you know, inverted. It's the wrong way around. It's, it's what the, in quantities they call it backwardation. Yes. So your, your value of money and your cost of storing oil and insurance. So there's actually there's no oil tankers left. There's no oil tankers available in the fleet around the world. They've all been bought by hedge funds, banks, you name it. Everyone's buying oil. That's the new trade. 
they they basically as long as it will you know, they've got to, obviously I'm I'm just uh, back of envelope stuff because it's not as simple. You've got to make sure that the oil container, I mean that particular container, mm. can take a certain type of oil. Uh, and then you know, there's storage costs associated. Of course, in the meantime, you're seeing storage costs escalating because everyone's onto this game now. So tanker prices are up about 30% in the last month because everyone realizes that everyone needs to store this excess oil. So the best thing to do now, if you like a bit of a punt, is apologize to the wife as you get some oil barrels delivered to your front lawn because they are trading $13 under what they think it's going to trade far out. So there's really interesting stuff happening in that space, Lindsay, and it's, it's, quite, it's quite interesting. The commodity space always fascinates me. I know it does. Me too. too. It really does. Where's mm. J.R. Ewing when you need him? I remember in Dallas in the <laughs> 1970s, 80s. Moment. Anyway, it doesn't matter. He actually initiated a coup in the Middle East in order to drive prices up because Ewing Oil <laughs> was suffering around 7 $8 a barrel. Where is he when you need him now? Standard Bank on Tuesday withdrew its financial guidance, citing uncertainty caused by the corona virus, Africa's largest lender by assets, is the first of South Africa's major lenders to warn that its outlook and guidance mm. might no longer stand. Well, there's a surprise. First of many, I think. Yeah. First of many. That's a profit warning, in other words. Yeah. Yeah. Profit warning in another name. All right. Let's have a look at the top five major movers on the upside. Let's start with the upside today. Uh, I've got M- oh, I've got Sassel up 10.3%. 3477. What was its low? About 21 and a half, 22, Nick? Mm. Yeah. yeah, it's 35%, 35% off its low. More than that, actually, 21, 30, 40, more, 13. More, almost double there. Yeah, it's more than double, 60% higher. MTN up nearly 9%, Anglo Platts up 7 and two thirds percent despite the fact it's got a couple of force majeure in place. I suppose um, it's anticipating the force majeure boosting the price of the underlying metal, the PGM baskets. Old Mutual up 7%, Telcom up 6 and two thirds percent just below 20 on the downside. Gold mining companies dominating. Harmony, nearly 10% weaker. Goldfields down nearly 8%. Anglo Gold Ashanti down nearly 4%. DRD Gold down 2.2%. And breaking the mold, PSG Consult down uh, three quarters. Any other stories you're seeing, please? No, but I've just got on my leaderboard. Obviously, it's a smaller cap, but Murray and Roberts up 8% today. I wonder if uh, there's a bit of rumors off the president's speech that the government's going to basically launch into some infrastructure spending uh, to try to stimulate the economy when we uh, come out of our bunkers in, in, after 21 days. So that's intriguing me a little bit because I haven't seen this share even move for the last couple of months. So interesting. Mm. Keep an eye on that one. Penny stock, but yeah, well worth having a look at. All right, um, the, uh, not the closing, I keep on saying that. After nearly one hour of trading, how do the JSC indices look, please? Okay, so the morning of the last quarter, yay, we up above 40,000 on the top 40, so well take a bow. Uh, top 40 up 731 points, 1.84% 1. at 40,486. JSC All Share, 1.8% firmer, 779 points up. 44,192 the number and if we drill down into indices I can happily say there is mm. nothing utilities are zero uh, so it's, slight, it's green on my screen but it's not red uh, on the greens we have uh, telecommunications up 4.12% financials bouncing back up 3.35% industrials having a good day 2.29% energy led by the likes of Sassel having a good day that index up 2.21% and finally healthcare rounding it up also a nice day up one78 today. Very good indeed. Nick, thanks so much for your analysis. That's Nick Kunzer from Sandland Private Wealth. That was the opening. Nick will be back with David Shapiro for the five o'clock shadow.
The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organisation, employer or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.